Hello folks. This week we look at another of Heidegger's preoccupations in his later philosophy. Architecture, building and thinking and dwelling. While buildings like the Greek temple are present in Heidegger's other work from the later period, he has only one short essay, Building, Dwelling, Thinking it's called, which directly tackles the question of architecture. The essay was originally given as a lecture at a 1951 conference in Darmstadt which was directly responding to the post-war housing crisis after World War II in Germany. It is an enigmatic essay, no doubt, and a good example of Heidegger's late ocular prose style, but at its core, there's quite a simple idea. We have forgotten how to dwell, or to live well with our abodes. We have started to think of homes as technological and instrumental rather than existential. In the following then, I explain how Heidegger looks at how building has become separate from dwelling, what Heidegger means by his very enigmatic phrase, the fourfold, and how Heidegger conceives of dwelling as spaces for living in. In the opening lines of Building, Dwelling, Thinking, Heidegger tells us that to think about architecture, we need not to view building as an art or a technique of construction. This means he is less interested in the activity of fabrication. What then, may we ask, is Heidegger interested in? Well, he says that he is interested in thinking about building as contributing to something deeper. He wants to trace building, in his words, back into the domain to which everything that is belongs. This requires answering, then, what is it to dwell? And how does building belong to dwelling? Well, in a basic sense, we think of our buildings as dwellings of a sort. But Heidegger pointedly notes not every building is a dwelling. Some buildings like football stadiums or railway stations or swimming pools and supermarkets are not dwellings. So dwelling is not necessarily something connected to material buildings. But equally, Heidegger explains that dwelling is not a feeling of being at home in the world. So we might say, as Heidegger pointed out, that the truck driver is at home in his truck on the motorway, or we could say that the firemen might feel at home in their work at the station, or the lecturer feels at home in the lecture hall. So dwelling, again, is not necessarily a being at home in the world. These buildings and structures house us, but that is not what Heidegger means by dwelling. Inhabiting and lodging is not strictly dwelling. What is dwelling? Well, as we saw with what Heidegger has to say about art and technology, means in thinking or instrumental thinking obscures something essential about how we dwell, about dwelling. So for Heidegger, to build is already to dwell. Heidegger proceeds in typical fashion to go into some etymological analysis. Before he starts, he talks about the nature of language and how language, if we listen, reveals the essence of a thing or what matters about a thing. Language, however, is stymied by the idle chatter of what he calls clever talking, writing and broadcasting of spoken words. Clever talking is an interesting way of putting it. He means opinion-forming speech or what we might now call punditry or influencing. All this dissemination of commentary and punditry gives a false impression of language 
we think we own language, have a propriety over it. And R, as Heidegger says, and I quote, the shaper and master of language, while in fact, language remains the master of man. By repudiating the dominance of language over us, by suggesting that language is something that we create and cheaply proliferate, becomes a source of our own alienation. But what does all of this have to do with building and dwelling? Well, by returning to the essence of the language of architecture, building and dwelling, we get a sense of dwelling which precedes that very mastery of nature, that very mastery of language in the term building. Heidegger makes this thought explicit by turning to dwelling as a language. Through a detailed etymological reading of the term buon, Heidegger suggests that building is in some sense divorced from the question of dwelling. Buon is, for Heidegger, uh, uh, the trace of the German word uh, nachbar, or neighbour. And for Heidegger, that tells us that the neighbour is the dweller, or the near-dweller, they who dwell nearby. Uh, in other words, our buildings now have forgotten that sense of near-dwelling and are becoming divorced from the lived experience of what it is like to be in them, to use them, to be affected by their material structure, to be privy to the practices they unfold. As with Heidegger's reflections on art and technology, a building is not an object reduced to a presence. It is a different type of thing, a thing which exists of its own accord alongside nature in the material world. And it's not something that is necessarily manufactured for specific ends. Industrial-scale building does not really care whether what is made and fabricated exists beyond its purely instrumental ends. Building here is just constructing. Thus, Heidegger's engagement with the language of building, dwelling and architecture discloses that building has its roots in dwelling, albeit roots that we have lost sight of. Since dwelling is of essential significance, that is, it relates to how we exist, our Dasein, or our being in the world, then building, as building as dwelling, pertains for Heidegger to Fusus, to being, to creation, along with the need to cultivate a poetic sensitivity to how things truly are. Building as dwelling is that which nurtures things. Now, we should be careful here. I don't think Heidegger is necessarily coming down on one side of or the other of the nature-nurture debate. That would be a bit of a false binary. Building as dwelling for Heidegger concerns itself with things both natural and artificial. The trouble is our modern technological paradigms obscure this unity of things we are and things we make. And Heidegger has a word for this unity, and it is called the fourfold. Part two, the fourfold. The fourfold is one of Heidegger's more elliptical notions. It consists of earth, gods, sky and mortals, all brought together in the unity of a primal oneness. To explain the fourfold and how it relates to architecture, we need to bear a couple of things in mind. Firstly, we should take these notions figuratively rather than literally, though. Heidegger is disclosing something essentially philosophical about how we think. 
The American philosopher Graham Harmon helps us out here. Harmon suggests the fourfold is a philosophical structure and refers to the nature of all being for Heidegger, where being, if we recall, is a form of unconcealment or how being is revealed. So, earth and gods is another way of talking about one of the oldest of philosophical questions, is being one, or is it many, or unity and multiplicity. Sky and mortal is also about the one and many, except it is more immediate and present to us. I like the way Harmon puts this, because it shows the old platonic question, the old platonic distinction still at play. That which is present is unconcealed and appearing, and that which is real is concealed and hidden. And Heidegger draws these things together. The common denominator of both forms is the one and the many, being in time, if you like, for Heidegger. The second thing I would point out when explaining what the fourfold is for Heidegger is the other Platonic dimension. In Plato's early dialogues, the human being is the median between the eternal and the transitory world of appearances, between being and time, if you like, or between earth and gods, if you want to put it in Heideggerese. In Plato's Symposium, for example, the human being is mortal being that desires the eternal but is drawn towards the passions, the animals, as well as sensuous life. This is also the cave in Plato's cave story in The Republic, where we humans are drawn to the delights of the senses on the shadows of a cave wall, but are called towards the light of the immutable, the good beyond being and the truth. Heidegger himself is reflecting on the Platonic tradition when he speaks of the fourfold. The oneness of earth, skies, divinities and mortals is a way of showing how the human is constituted out of competing drives and instincts. Instincts towards both the godlike and material, towards the earth and towards the very stuff of body and materiality. The fourfold, therefore, is about how we are in the world. It is how Dasein is and defines how we dwell, or defines Dasein as dwelling. The individual parts of the fourfold in isolation are necessary but not sufficient conditions of being in the world. But when all parts are gathered, then they are necessary and sufficient conditions of being in the world, as well as for anything can be possible in the first place. The fourfold is not reducible to its component parts, but rather names another modality of being in the world, where all questions of Dasein's being in the world are ultimately variations of questions of the one and the many, unity and multiplicity, sameness and change. Instrumental thinking does not gain sight of the fourfold. It does not see that the human being requires the relative stability of earth, how its blunt physicality provides mysterial substance and support. Also, the sky is Heidegger's way of talking about possibility. It is a metaphor that reveals that while we are of the earth, we are also beyond the earth, the sky indicating our desire for a worldly transcendence. The mortals denotes our inherent finitude, the fact that we die. Mortality, as in being in time, defines the contingency and finitude of human existence. By seeing ourselves as part of a world that too is finite and comes to an end, reveals how we can sustain a real and meaningful sense of ourselves as of the world. Divinities, then, are not literal gods. The gods, rather, they disclose a desire for the holy, the sacred, even where a god is withdrawn and not coming back. The gods are almost like a felt absence. Heidegger is here quite Nietzschean, I think. God is dead and all that is left is multiple 
God prosthetics, which we reach for in God's absence. It's quite a radical thought, actually. Heidegger is framing the gods as part of the many rather than the oneness of earth, thereby undermining monotheistic interpretations of being. Some have even suggested, understandably, I think, that Heidegger skirts close to paganism. The fourfold is a gathering of all these essential factors of life itself in oneness, and these are things we need to remain mindful of when contemplating what we build and our our dwelling. Our instrumental thinking in the modern world obscures and confuses our ability to understand the relation between building and dwelling. When we divorce building from dwelling, we think of building in a purely efficient way, or as only a means to an end. In contrast, we need to think of building as conjoined to dwelling, which is to say, as reflecting the philosophical questions of the one and the many. Put simpler, dwelling is mindful of the state of the existence of the world, or it ought to be, or it should be attuned to it. Where we think of building as there for the reproduction of bare life, and by that I mean as there to provide just brute shelter and housing, then we are reducing dwelling to a mere problem of necessity and scarcity. And remember, this was the context that Heidegger was responding to. His advice was that if we just treat building as construction, or purely in functional terms, didn't we forget that our buildings are far dwelling? The fourfold as a type of appearance becomes forgotten, and we do not understand how our buildings dwell between past, present, and future. Building forgets gathering, and that's for Heidegger the communal dimension of dwelling, where we build not just to give immediate shelter or a roof over our heads as we say in English, but to enable forms of life, ways of living in a community who has a sense of where they are in the world, where they are going, sky, that they need to sustain their life before they die, mortals, and they need to survive beyond the present moment despite death, divinities. Part 3. Dwelling Space Despite its obscure and often elliptical expression, Heidegger is, I maintain, doing something simple with the idea of the fourfold. The fourfold reveals how structures are more than just structures. Philosophy has long succumbed to architectural metaphor and language. For example, we can think of Descartes trying to found the conceptual foundations of subjectivity, or we might think of Kant's view of reason as architectonic, that is, everything correctly located within a conceptual edifice, or just the word structure, which is present ubiquitously in both analytic and continental philosophy. Heidegger, as you might now expect, is trying to reverse this trend, the trend where we attempt to dominate being with our prefabricated and pre-designed thought structures and physical structures. The unavoidable human tendency to order nature with structures is an abstraction, a separation after the world itself. Thinking, real thinking, requires us to see our buildings as dwellings which hold an interpretive function. They serve and sustain ways of life and the world. They make sense of the world. Here we see Heidegger also add a spatial dimension to the temporal account that he devoted being and time to assessing. Where humans relate to space as dwelling, then place takes on the form of dwelling. Here, a building, as dwelling, allows time and place to occur. The example Heidegger gives in building-dwelling thinking is of a bridge. 
the bridge dwells when it actively constitutes a place. Rather than the hydroelectric dam which command in nature, the bridge makes space place. It allows place to happen again and again over time, enduring. When a bridge spans a river, it makes a site where we understand the word site, not in this conventional sense as legal bounded space or land, but as, as a place something is, was and can be. The bridge is not reducible just to mere functionality. Instead, the bridge constitutes that world. Here, space is something active rather than neutral. The bridge, as place, actively constitutes its part of the world, gathering the world into the fourfold. Space is awareness prior to our experience of it. As Heidegger himself puts it, space in its essence is a, a letting happen. We hear that in the everyday use of the word space, where we, we make space for this or that, or we make room, perhaps. This form of space as place, Heidegger contrasts to abstract space. As Heidegger puts it, accordingly, and I'm quoting him here, spaces receive their essential being from locales and not from space. Now, what does he mean by that? The bridge, as fourfold, is a thing attuned to being, as opposed to an object, where a thing is reducible only to its material properties, valued only where it is useful. This is not to say that the bridge is not useful too. Bridges are useful. Bridges are brilliant for crossing rivers, for example. But that is not the only thing or the only way we can think about it. The bridge is a work of architecture, lets the mystery be, so to speak. It allows the world to be as it is, rather than determining the world as abstract and neutral points in a geometrical space, say. The bridge as a building retains an inexplicability, rather than being just measurable or quantifiable. The positioning in place, rather than abstract space, is what allows us to attain to dwelling. And dwelling is the most fundamental part of our existence. Heidegger could not be clear on this. Dwelling is, and I quote, the basic character of being, in keeping with which mortals exist. Perhaps this attempt to think about dwelling and building will bring out something more clearly that building belongs to dwelling and how it receives its essence from dwelling. To understand dwelling, then, the key thing to grasp is how Heidegger maintains the rough distinction between building and dwelling and tries to put them back together in a way. When building is constructed unthinkingly, then we lose sight of dwelling. As we mentioned at the outset of this lecture, we have all kinds of buildings, as Heidegger says, such as stadiums, airport, hangars, train stations, but they are often far removed from the question of dwelling. All he is really asking, I think, in terms of dwelling, is how do we live in the world? Or how or why does it matter that home and dwelling are such important and fundamental concepts for humans? The trouble with a modern approach to architecture, and secondly, I suppose, a modernist approach to architecture, for example, 
say, Le Corbusier's utopian architecture, is that we forget the question of dwelling or how to be at home or how to inhabit our dwelling well. In building, dwelling, thinking, Heidegger thinks that building as dwelling remains the habitual or patterns of existence, an inhabiting which makes our lives possible in the first place. It's an inhabiting which opens us up to the future. To forget that is to forget how we are connected to how we live, how how we live is at stake in dwelling. The Greek word ethos is helpful there. If you recall, when we were discussing being in time, one of the things that Heidegger thought very important was the idea of Steimung, or mood and atmosphere. To live well, to be attuned to the world, we need to be disposed towards habits of dwelling well. It has to be part of our ethos. Modern architecture is too devoted, according to Heidegger at least, to homogenization. In Heidegger's post-war context, the urgent demand for creating as many homes as possible without respect to questions of context and specificity was a recipe for alienation and disenchantment. The fear of the modern chimes with a lot of Heidegger's concerns as he thinks the danger is that we are losing our sense of world or the idea of thereness, that is, being there, actively involved in the world we are in. The word locale is useful then here. Dwelling requires a sense that our buildings are attuned to place, to their immediate world. And this is hugely important in that it affects what we are, what we can be, or how our dwellings adapt to what's happening. The organisation of space and time affects our human dispositions, our habits, how we inhabit, and consequently affects our possibilities, those things which we might become. And therefore, dwelling is a matter of life and death. That we treat buildings in a very instrumental, manipulative sense is a problem for Heidegger, since it means that we remain governed by network thinking, or desgestell in framing, as it's sometimes called. And our buildings lose a sense of belonging, a sense of dareness, as well as a sense of possibility. Dwelling, then, is an activity for Heidegger, something that needs to be maintained, sustained, and carried out as opposed to something, say, finished and completed or decided. If you think about your own home, your own dwelling space, it is in fact very rarely something static, but rather is dynamic and a living thing. Even, say, if you inherited a house that has been in your family for years, the house is significant as an interpretive site binding you to a past and freeing you, perhaps, to a future. All things being equal, of course. An inherited house might, of course, potentially be a money trap, and quite often buildings can be very unhomely, unwelcoming, constraining, or just downright spooky. Having said this, building can be a form of thinking. Where we dwell is inherently modal, adaptive to its immediate surroundings, making forms of life possible and constrained at once. Heidegger is asking us to be more philosophical and reflective would regard our built environment, hence building, dwelling, and thinking. Buildings are not just inert objects. They are not, if you want to put it in the terms of being in time, present to hand. Buildings are certainly made of material, stuff, and elements from the external world, but this is not all they are. They must also be considered in terms of the practices and processes as well as the dispositions they generate. Therefore, An abandoned Greek temple for Heidegger gives us a sense of what he would call world withdrawal. 
the world of activities and life that form part of the building have diminished and nature and the material world are reclaiming or retaking it. You might find a version of this if you enter a premises that has been vacated for a while, which invariably has an unlived atmosphere. Dwelling reveals any distinction between construction, artifice and nature as false. You can think of this when you think of any habituated space. No dwelling is a monad, no matter how clean we like to keep it. A building has plumbing, ventilation, dust connected to a sewer system, perhaps a functioning chimney and, of course, a door, all of which show the boundaries between inside and outside are a lot more porous than we might imagine. Dwelling is important for Heidegger also because it demonstrates human beings' intimate relationship with time and space. Dwelling needs continuity and care. It needs an active and dynamic sense of how a building relates to the past, the present and the future, as well as the there. Therefore, dwelling is a form of creation for Heidegger. It's a type, and this is not Heidegger's phrase, of an art of living, as the way we dwell demands a need for preserving, creating and opening ways of life. A building is imparted to how we exist and determines our practices, possibilities and aspirations. Building needs then to be understood in the broadest possible sense. Our building as dwelling does, in a temporal way. And our buildings need to be designed with a, a sense of span that generates care, something that maps onto and negotiates past, present and future. Once we do this, a uh, building can be considered a dwelling. The built environment is crucial in this context because it supports our being in the world. However, architecture is something that we tend not to think about enough in a philosophical sense. We think of building as that which builders, architects and engineers do and construct in a neutral and dispassionate way. Well, it is still, for Heidegger, it can be that of course, but it is still, for Heidegger, something radically important for our lives, perhaps the most important thing. And therefore, that's why Heidegger links the question of dwelling to the question of freedom. Dwelling is important also because it is and pertains to the question of freedom. Although Heidegger, as you might now expect, thinks of freedom in a very idiosyncratic way. Freedom is not about traditional philosophical questions about free will and determinism. Rather, Heidegger links freedom to the question of peace. I suppose one is only truly free when one is at peace is a useful way of thinking of it, where freedom comes when we are preserved from harm and danger. As Heidegger suggests, to be free is to be preserved from something. Hence, freedom is relational rather than emerging from a positive act of willing. He puts it succinctly. To free actually means to spare. Also, and I quote him here, the fundamental character of dwelling is this sparing. This is not just to do with abstaining from inflicting harm on someone, which would be a negative way of constructing it. To spare is something positive for Heidegger and occurs by leaving something be. We leave it to its own essence. When Heidegger uses the term spare, he uses the term as we might use it in English where there was no excess, as in, say, the prose was spare, or where we might say the interior of a house is spare, when we say it's minimalist, 
rather than the usual way where we say spare means extra, as in, I have a spare tyre. The reason he does this is because he wants us to think of freedom as lacking excess, where everything is just so, in his right place, accepting of the place of things, but also of how things are to become. Allowing things to become is what Heidegger is talking about. I suppose, perhaps, things we would be might be a way to think about that, although that's not a comparison I want to push or develop. At any rate, authentic dwelling means building where we might let the things of this world, including the things we make, to freely be themselves, to become themselves in their nature, as they are. In conclusion, the question of architecture is valuable to think about as it provides a good practical example of how all the themes in the later Heidegger coalesce. We see some of the key themes in being and time also are present, such as thinking of uh, time and space and uh, tool being and how these relate and affect how we organise our buildings and how we dwell. We also see how his later concerns with questions of art, craft and technology come to the fore in relation to the question of human being as a form of dwelling. And architecture is craft at the intersection of nature and culture, really, when you think about it. There does seem to be a preference in Heidegger for dwelling that originated true craft rather than mass production. The thought is that these forms of dwelling are more relatively durable. I can't imagine he would be too pleased with the latest innovation of 3D printed houses. With dwelling, we get Heidegger's unique take on how we live. Dwelling is not sacred in the sense of the sacred space of a religious edifice, but neither is our dwellings free from the constraints of our environment and material world. We are sensuous sense-makers who coexist and co-construct our built environment. If we don't see that, then we are doomed to be alienated from the place where we find ourselves. This all underlines Heidegger's non-anthropocentric approach to dwelling. And by that I mean he wants us to extend beyond the human, to think outside of the human, to think how we dwell in the world itself. While Heidegger is not a vitalist, we do get a sense that our buildings are not static or inert, but have a life of their own. This is not to say they have agency, as a a panpsychist might, just that our buildings are active and constituting place and what we are. Hence, building, dwelling and thinking are only meaningful together.